here. Welcome to the brand new series that we kicked off last week called Nothing New. And uh, so excited to jump into part two today. So you should have got some notes when you walked in. Did you get some notes? Uh, all right. All right. If you want to dive in, we're going to jump right in today to today's topic. We are looking at this idea of nothing new. It's coming from a theme verse in Ecclesiastes. And uh, I want to direct your attention to that verse as well. If you go on the YouVersion app, by the way, and you go to live events, the more page and hit live events, you can get these notes as well online. Um, and you can jump on that way as well. But let's jump into today's verse. Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse nine says, what has been is what will be. What has been, is, what has been done is what will be done. And there is, everybody say those two words. Nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. And so the premise of this whole series is, is that the things that you and I deal with, people have been dealing with this for generations and generations to come. All throughout scripture, we see men and women that struggled with very similar of the same things that you and I struggle with today. And so we talked about what would it be like if we could invite some of these characters almost kind of like having them over to dinner and sitting down with them at a dinner table and having, what would it be like to have a conversation with these people and, and what would they tell us? What are, the, what are the experiences that they learned in their life as they follow Jesus together? And so last week we looked at Isaiah and we looked at this idea of what do you do when life doesn't make sense? And we talked about really the, the theme behind that was, well, when life doesn't make sense, you just need an encounter with God and encountering with God changes everything. We talked about, man, how do you, what do you do when you feel stuck? And uh, we shared just how do we get out of that and how do we walk into all of God's purposes. Today, we're going to look at a guy by the name of Elisha. Now, not to be confused with Elijah. Elijah was a, a very famous prophet in the scriptures. You may or may not know him. He was one of the ones who fought over 800 prophets, called uh, fire down from heaven. He's the one that did so many miracles. Actually, 14 recorded miracles in the Bible was from Elijah. We know Elijah's a pretty popular prophet because when Jesus actually was on the Mount of Transfiguration having an encounter with his father, there was three people at that meeting besides the people that Jesus brought. There was God the Father, there was Moses, and then there was, anybody know? Elijah. Elijah. Elijah was there. And so uh, Elijah's a pretty big deal. But uh, I didn't want to talk about Elijah because I feel like we would probably connect more with Elisha. See, Elisha is just a normal guy. Elisha's got a regular nine to five kind of job. He works on the farm. He's just an ordinary dude. Uh, by the way, he's also bald. So for every guy in here, just, just want to help you out. He was follically challenged. And so um, he, uh, it was a really cool thing about, about uh, Elisha. If you go and you read the story of Elisha, Elisha actually, there were some kids teasing him about his baldness and he called two bears to come from the woods and killed the kids. Don't you be messing with a bald man. I'm telling you right now. I mean, read your Bible. It's some fun stuff. And so I want to show you today a little bit about this guy of, of Elisha because he was just an ordinary, regular person. And I think oftentimes we don't realize that God loves using regular, ordinary people. And I want to show you what his job was. Actually, this was his job. His job was he, he farmed uh, and plowed oxen. Can we put that, put that one up there? So this was his job right here. His job for... Eight to 12 hours a day, every day of the week, was to go out in the fields and to do this right here. Now, you might think, oh, that's not a big deal. Well, let me show you another picture. This, is what, this was his scenery for 12 hours. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Think about this scenery for 12 hours a day. I mean, every day you come. Can, you, can we just for a minute put smell-o-vision on this thing? Can you imagine? 
what this smelled like 12 hours a day. Some of you are like, this is my life. This is what my life feels like right now. <laughs> smells like this and looks like this. This is uh, some of the people I work with. Anyways, okay, so um, we'll, keep, we'll keep rolling on. But uh, this is mundane, ordinary, normal, stanky job. What does God have to do with mundane, ordinary, gross jobs? He has a lot to do with it, actually. And oftentimes, we can look at this situation. Let's put the other one back on, if we don't mind. We'll put the other picture. Okay. We, we can often look at these type of jobs and not realize that a lot of our life is kind of mundane. Work, home, dinner, pay bills, work, home, dinner, pay bills, work, home, dinner, pay bills. If you're a mom, it's you know, dishes, diapers, laundry, dishes, diapers, laundry, dishes, diapers, laundry. I need a beat. Dishes, diapers, laundry. And we can get into this mundane of just constant, if you're a student, it's school, school, homework, homework, school, homework test, homework, school, homework. And you just get into this thing where it's just this constant mundane, same thing over and over. And oftentimes we can feel like what we're doing is pretty insignificant. It's just the same thing over and over again. But can I tell you right now, God loves doing things with insignificant people who think that what they're doing is insignificant. And everything, by the way, that's done for God is never insignificant. And so I want to show you, uh, I want to answer this question today. Here's the question. What do you do when you feel insignificant? What do you feel like what you're doing is mundane? When, it, when no one's taking notice, when no one sees what's going on? Let me give you the answer here. If you got some notes, you can, you can write this down. When you feel insignificant, give your best wherever God puts you. Give your best wherever God puts you. This is so huge and crucial for you to understand is that when no one is watching, God is watching. Can I say that again? When no one is watching, God is watching. And oftentimes when the boss isn't there or when our parents aren't there or when there's people that, are, that can approve of what we're doing, we'll give our best whenever they're around. But when they're gone, we can then, ha, ah, yeah. When the cat's away, oh, yeah, some of y'all know this already. Yeah. And so I'm here to tell you, though, that oftentimes when you feel insignificant, that's where you need to really be doing your best. And so I want to show you three areas where I think Elisha would tell us that we need to give our best in, that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you need to give your best in these three areas. So let me give you the first one. If you're taking notes, write this first one down. Give your best in obscurity and he will reward it. Give your best in obscurity and God will reward it. Let me show you. So 1 Kings chapter 19, now looking in verse 19, it says this. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. And watch what he's doing. He was just plowing a field. He was just at his normal daily job. This is what he was doing. And there was 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. And watch this. Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak over his shoulders. And I love this. And then what? And then walked away. Like he took his cloak, his covering, took it off, went over to, I mean, think about it. You're just doing this. You see this guy walk up onto the scene, and he's like stripping, you know? He's like, what's going on here? And then he throws his coat over him. Th listen, throws his coat over him, and then he's like, peace out. Like, walks away. There's no conversation. There's nothing. There's no details. There's no, what's going on here? Well, in this day and age, of course, a cloak was, in a sense, almost representing 
who a person was. It was their covering, and so he was giving his covering to Elisha, pretty much saying, this is what he's saying, you're hired. You're hired. It's kind of like the hiring process. You're hired. And, and think about this. This is Elisha. He's in the middle of obscurity. He's just doing a normal day-to-day job. There's nothing special about what he's doing. He's just plowing. And even though nobody sees him, God sees him. And even though he thinks nobody's recognizing him, undoubtedly there was something about the way that he worked that Elijah found him. God was Sam. And I'm here to tell you today that oftentimes the places of obscurity are the places that God is building us the most. And I want you to look all throughout history, especially in the Bible, you see men and women that God pulled out of obscurity to do great things, but they were in obscurity. Can we talk about Moses? Moses was in the wilderness, in obscure places, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep and helping out, and God has a burning bush right there in the middle of obscurity. Can we talk about David, man after God's own heart? What was he doing for years? Hanging out with sheep. He was a shepherd. Can we look at the story of most of the disciples were just had normal jobs. Many of them were fishermen, tax collectors, just doing normal things. Didn't think anybody saw them and says, Jesus shows up on the scene and says, hey, follow me. All throughout scripture, we see men and women of God that God used. Think about this. Jesus was developed in obscurity. Jesus for 30 years. I asked my boys the other day, we, we talk about manhood on the way to school. It's been our topic of conversation is about manhood. So, so this week it was, hey guys, what do y'all think Jesus was like? And you know, and they're, they're you know, going back and forth. What do you think Jesus' job was? And they would be like, savior. <laughs> I was like, no, like his real job. Like died on the cross. I'm like, yeah, he did. But what was his other job? I'm trying to get them to say carpenter, but they weren't getting there. Okay. He, had, he was a carpenter for 30 years. And I, and I told him, man, what would it be like to think that Jesus made your dining room set? How cool would that have been? Think about that. For, I mean, we, we, don't, we don't realize that he actually had a normal job. Like, hey, Jesus, build my house. And so yet here we are. Jesus was also developed in obscurity for 30 years. It wasn't really until he was baptized that he really went into technically full-time ministry from there that God said it. And what concerns me the most is we live in a day and age, especially now with social media, that when you're in obscurity, you don't have to be in obscurity because you can make yourself famous. And oftentimes what people fail to realize is that in the times of obscurity is when God is trying to get your attention and God is trying to form your identity, not based off of what you do, but based off of whose you are. But, but because of social media, if you don't like your job now, hey, when he was plowing the fields, if he didn't like his job, you know who he was talking to? Oxen and God. I hate this job. It stinks. I hate this job. It stinks. I hate this job. It stinks. Nowadays, you don't have to do that because you can just go on Facebook and let everybody know. See, because what was ended up happening is what we don't realize is that in those times of obscurity where we're doing things maybe we don't really care to be doing, God is doing something on the inside of us. But if we're not careful, we'll try to get the spotlight too soon. And if you get the spotlight too soon, it'll burn you up. And so in the dark places, in the desert places, God is developing you. Some of you right now are in a cubicle and you feel like nobody is watching you. Nobody sees what you're doing. God is watching and God sees and God is seeing what he can do through you. Will you be faithful now so you can be faithful later? God develops us in obscurity. This is the, the story really of, of even of my life. When I came here on staff, when we, we were just at the Holiday Inn, Pastor Bubba, Miss Tracy, myself, that was about it, and a handful of people. I remember Pastor Bubba was like, all right, I want you to be the youth pastor. I'm like, awesome, to who? <laughs> he was like, 
my nephew and my sons. I'm like, so you want me to be the McCann pastor? That's what you want me to be. It's like, yes, it's, we got to start somewhere. So while Thursday night service was going on at the Holiday Inn with, you know, 20 or so people, I was meeting with three McCann kids at Sonic. This is how it started. And I was thinking in this, like, I moved from Texas to be meeting with three kids at Sonic? Like, I feel like there's something so much more that could be going on here. And yet what was happening was God was developing. And then I moved here, and I moved to Welsh. And I moved in a little, come on, Welsh in the house. Come on, somebody. Welsh. I didn't say that when I moved there. <laughs> Welsh, what the heck? Where is this place? All right. And then I moved on a farm, like in a little loft. Uh, the Kyles say I'm pretty generous calling it a loft. Um, they said it's not a loft. They said it's a shack. But I, I called it a studio loft. That's what I was saying. <laughs> hey, where do you live? I live in a studio loft. Um, had no AC and no running hot water. Um, but it was a loft, you know. Was, and, uh, and yet, you know what it was? I was thinking, why did I move from Texas to come to this? But not realizing God was developing this. God was doing something here. Then, of course, being the youth pastor for a number of years and just helping behind the scenes and cutting the grass. And, and for years, my wife and I would clean the church. And no one saw those things. And I would have arguments with God. Of, God, I was, I was going to do great things for you. Why am I doing all of this? And not realizing that in obscurity, God was trudging up things and pride and issues in my soul and he was doing it in the obscure places. And I've learned this. This is one of the things that I've learned over the years, that if you're too big to do the small things, you're too small to do the big things. If you're too big to clean the toilet, you're too small to speak on a stage. If you can't do the small things that other, other people won't do, then God won't let you do the big things that he wants you to do. Are y'all with me? And this obscurity. Watch what Matthew chapter 6, it says it this way. Your father who sees what is done in what? In secret. Well, what? reward you. See, the problem is we want people's reward before we want God's reward, and so that's why we go for it. But how many know people's reward is nowhere near as good as God's reward is? And this verse is telling us, actually, it's taking from Matthew 6, where he talks about three areas that we should be doing things in secret, in prayer, that the prayers that you pray in secret, that maybe you don't feel like they're being answered, but God is hearing those things, and God is moving. When you pray one thing, how many know God is doing 10,000 things to make your prayers come to pass. And he says, and when you fast, make sure you fast in secret because God will reward you openly. And then he says, when you give, you know, when you give and the, you know, that tide bucket comes out, you don't like pull out your wallet and like, yeah. you don't do that. Okay. You do it in secret. That's why I do it online. You know, so, I mean, you know, sometimes with all those in here that give online, how many know when the bucket passes, you feel like you need to tell the people I give online. <laughs> Come on, anybody in here, who says that? 60% of y'all give online. I know how you feel. Like, listen, I do give online. I'm telling you. Like, we need a shirt. I give online. I'm not that kind of person. I give, okay. I just felt like I need to get that out there for some of y'all. When the tithe comes up later on, y'all can just, okay, anyway. So, <clears throat> so listen, we're going we're gonna to give our best in obscurity. God will reward it. This is huge, by the way, for students. It's huge. You want to do great things. This is huge. Here's the second thing you want to write this down. Give your best in small things, and God will give you bigger things to do. 
Watch this, 1 Kings 19, 21. So Elisha returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them. And now watch this. He didn't just slaughter the oxen. He also used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast the cows. So he not only had a massive barbecue that he fed actually the whole community with, but he used the plows, all of the equipment to actually make the barbecue. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Now think about this for a moment. It would be understandable that you're going to burn all the, or kill all the cows, that you can create a sacrifice to the Lord, and that's what they would normally do is a sacrifice to the Lord, but why in the world would he burn the plows? Because this is what he's saying, there's no plan B. Like, I'm all in. Like, there's no job to come back to. I destroyed it all. That's what he's saying. And so in that moment... He's going, I'm, I'm all in on this. And so when, when we understand that we can do, give our best in the small things, it, this seems like a small thing, but, but really to God and to Elijah, this was a really big thing. Because he's telling Elijah, listen, I'm all in here. And we talked about this last week, about this, the power of being all in. That when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't say, hey, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, come on. No, he says, listen, drop your nets, leave your parents, and come follow me. Let's go all in on this thing. And if you want all of God, how many know he needs all of you? He needs all of you. And you've got to be willing to give your best in the small things. So I wrote this down. Why would God give you great things if you can't take care of the small things? It's the small things that matter. Hey, by the way, if you're a boss in here, you probably, this is what you're looking for in your employees. Will you take care of the small things? Because if the small things don't matter then to you, I'm not going to give you the big things that really matter to me. If you will learn to take care of these small things, I'm telling you right now, you walk into your boss's office and you say this, what is the one thing that bothers you the most that I can take off your plate for you? Walk in and ask that question. First off, after he picks his jaw up off of the floor, you go and you begin to do that. And I'm telling you, you will take notice to all of those around you because you're going to be willing to do the things that nobody else is willing to do. And how many know as Christians, we should be the best workers that are out there? We should show up early. We should stay late. We should serve more than everybody. We shouldn't complain. We should give our best. We should do our job with joy. We should, we should take care of every little detail because God is a God of details. We've been reading right now through the building of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Just, we plowed through Leviticus. Thank God we're through Leviticus. And now we're getting into other things. But it's amazing when you read how much God was into detail, like how long something was and what it was made out of. And y'all know we serve a God of detail. When he told Moses to build, I mean Noah to build the ark, it was like with this wood to these dimensions, with these animals and this stuff. How many know we serve a God of details, which makes all of the OCD people in here very happy? <laughs> Close that door. Shut that. Move that right there. Okay. And I just write, God's a God of detail. He's a God of detail. He likes things that are in order, which watch what Luke 16 says. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with, is that, we got that verse? Whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. Watch this. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with, with much. I love what Hudson Taylor, he said it this way. A little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing. I'm going to say that again. A little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing. Which then leads to number three, which is give your best in the natural and God will do the supernatural. How many of you glad that God puts his super on our natural? 
He always puts his super on our natural, and you'll watch, watch how this plays out. 2 Kings chapter 9, uh, in 2, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, says it this way. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken away from you? And can I just say that today? I really feel like God is asking you that exact same question this morning. What can I do for you? You're here, you're in church, and God wants to answer your prayers. God wants to be there for you. God wants to do, what can I do for you? Watch what Elisha's response is. It says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And Elisha replied, watch this, you've asked a difficult thing. That's not going to be easy. Elisha said in the next verse, yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. So this is what happened. So Elijah is there, they're having just kind of this conversation with Elisha, and he says, hey, what can I do for you? Is there anything I can do for you? And Elisha's like, this is my moment. Now Elijah recorded 14 miracles. Elisha says, I wanna do what you did, Double, double. And Elijah goes, Psh. you know how good I am? I mean, that was pretty good, 14. That's a hard thing to do. He says, you know what, I'll tell you what. If you see me ascend into heaven, it's yours. Now, y'all know the story about Elijah. Elijah was, there was only two people, Enoch and Elijah, who actually escaped death. Like, actually, a chariot of fire, like an Uber, came down. He hopped in and just, to the, to the heavens. Imagine, first off, just imagine what that was like because Elisha was right there like, you ain't taking a brother? You ain't taking me too? What's going on? Only one seat here. <laughs> Takes off. And sure enough, as he's, as he's watching it, he realizes, hey, it's going to come true. Do y'all want to know how many miracles were recorded for Elisha? 28. 28. There was only one person that did more miracles than Elisha. Jesus. Now think about this, Jesus, and then you got farm boy Baldy, got number two, with 28 recorded miracles. And then Elijah, who is pretty high up there, an ordinary normal guy, got 28 miracles and did way more than his spiritual father did. Why? Because he asked. Because he asked. Here's the question. What is it that you have stopped asking God for? What is it that maybe at one time you were asking God for, but because maybe he didn't answer it in your time or he didn't answer it the way that you wanted to answer, that now God is telling you it's time to start asking again. We have now dumbed down our prayers to the point of God bless this food. God, just give us a good night tonight. Keep everybody, keep the flu away. Amen. Those are okay, but I think we're praying safe prayers. I think we're praying safe prayers. Come on, I, I believe we need to step our prayers up to another level. Come on, if the Bible says, if you ask, I'll give it to you, come on, how many of you know, well, let's do it. Yeah. If Donald Trump said, hey, I'll buy whatever you want, all you gotta do is ask me, you'd be like, okay, let me pull out the list. I would like a, right? And come on, and we serve a God that's way more powerful than Donald Trump and can do a whole lot more. Thank the Lord. And so, watch, watch what this scripture says. It says it this way. Can y'all put the next one up? Whoever, everybody say that word? Believes in me will do works that I have been doing, and watch this, and they will do even, even greater things. 
You think Jesus did some awesome things. He says, listen, if you'll believe in me, you'll do even greater things than I do because I'm going to the Father. Now watch this next part. Here's the key. Here's how you're going to do greater things. You have to? Just circle that. Underline that. Highlight that. Put that in your Bible. You have to ask me. You have to ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You have to ask me. I mean, I believe there are so many unanswered prayers because we haven't prayed them. We have not asked God for them. We have three campuses now. I'm praying for dozens more. We're seeing seven, 800 people here. I'm praying for God to give us the city. We're praying bigger prayers and dream centers and things. Come on, I wanna see 500 plus students in our youth ministry taking over their schools on fire for the Lord, taking on all that God has for them. I wanna pray over my, my kids I love my grandmother. She would tell us all the time. She would say, Josh, listen, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for my grandkids. And this is what my grandmother would pray. I pray that my grandkids would never taste the world and they would only know how much God loves them and serve them with all of their purpose. And can you guess what? Out of all of the five grandchildren that my grandmother has, do you know every single one of them are in some form of either ministry or serving in a church right now and have never tasted things of the world? And God has answered that prayer that she has prayed. How many know you can't outrun grandma's prayers? It just ain't happening. Grandma starts praying, you just might as well surrender. It is over. It's happening. How, how many of our prayers for our kids are even safe? Just safe prayers. Come on, let's not just pray that they don't. God, just let them not have sex before they, uh, Lord. No, how about we say, God, may they stand up and fight for purity and hold on to their righteousness and may they have one person as their spouse one day and may they change their campus. I'm not praying that my kids survive high school. I'm praying my kids change their high school. I'm praying that God would, am I the only one fired up in this place? Does anybody else have high dreams and prayers? We have tame prayers. Tame. And God's like, I want to do so much more, but because you won't ask, I will do it for him who will ask. I, I, in our kids, there's fights in our kids. Of, Why does he get to have a friend over? Here's my answer. Because he asked for one. <laughs> he just asked me for one. So he got one. I'll never get a friend. Well, just ask. <laughs> Dad, can I have $100? No, you can't. <laughs> glad you asked. Answer's no right now. Hey, at least he asked. Watch. This is what it says. <clears throat> John 14. Oh, we read that one. Whoever believes in me will do great works. Will do great works. Now, I want to share one of the miracles that I think that is probably one of the most powerful miracles. Now, he did 28, and he did some really powerful ones. But this is one of my favorite miracles that Elisha does. It's, um, so... There's three kings that are fighting against another king. So there's the king of Israel, there's the king of Judah, there's the king of Edom, and they're fighting against the king of Moab. So all against the Moabites. It, it should be a pretty easy victory. Three kingdoms, three armies against one army. Should be pretty simple. They go into battle, and there's a slight situation. Because what they realize seven days into this battle is that there's no water. So guys are about to die because everybody is dying of thirst. And, and of course, in this moment of, man, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? One of the guys says, hey, is there a man of God around here? Is there like someone who like can hear from God for us? And one of them say, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, y'all remember Elijah? Well, he's got, he's, got like a, he's got like a spiritual son. You know, Elijah, you know, he's gone now. But Elijah, I think, I think he, and so they call Elisha. 
And it's, it's crazy because the story is these three kings were not serving God. These three kings did not follow God. These three kings were not the most godly men. And yet, in the midst of a troubled moment, guess who they call? God. Isn't it crazy that when people are in trouble, they find people closest to God? Y'all have family members that do that? You don't hear from them at all. And then they're like, hey, uh, I know you have, can you be praying for me? Hey, can you, why? Because they know that there's something that's on you, that you have faith to believe. And come on, how many know that's a great time for us to be there in those moments, by the way? And I love this because Elisha shows up on the scene. And Elisha's kind of cocky like his uh, predecessor Elijah was. Yeah, I don't know if y'all remember the story of Elijah when he was battling the, the prophets of Baal. And he's, you know, he's like, all right, the Baal prophets are like, all right, we're going you know, to have fire come down from heaven. And then they're doing all this stuff and nothing's coming down. And so Elijah was like, maybe your God's gone to the bathroom. Maybe. <laughs> Dude, it's funny. Y'all got to read your Bible. It's hilarious stuff. And so like they're cutting themselves and all this stuff and he's making fun of them. Well, Elisha shows up on the scene. He's kind of got some of the same sarcasm that Elijah does. And so they're like, Elisha, man, we're so glad you're here. Thank you. Oh, you can really help us. He's like, what do you need me for? And they're like, yeah, you know, you can pray. You know, we need some rain and we need some water. And he says, why don't you call your mama's prophets? That's what he says. Go read the text. Why don't you call your mama's prophets? That's like a yo mama joke right in front of them. (laughs) I mean, I love it. He's so, he's so sarcastic. Where's your mama at? Your mama's prophets aren't here? Come on. And so finally, he's like, okay, all right. What do you need me to do? And they're like, we need water. And so because of King Jehoshaphat, who actually he had somewhat of a relationship with, he says, okay, because I like this king, I'll do it for you. And they're like, well, what do you need? Watch the answer. Watch this. Now bring me someone who can play the harp. What? Like, It wasn't like a trumpet, like the biggest, heaviest instrument that there possibly is. I need you to bring that one out. It wasn't a flute. It wasn't, it it was a harp. I need a harp. I can only imagine what they're thinking. You need a what? I need a harp. Hey, go back and get the harp. I can imagine going through the desert as they're pulling this harp to them. (laughs) You've ordered a harp? And then all of a sudden, you know, they're playing the harp, you know. God is so good. (laughs) And while the harp is being played, the power of the Lord comes upon Elisha. Which, I think if Elisha was to tell us something, this is what he would tell us. Number one, is that you've got to learn how to cultivate the presence of God in your life. You've got to learn how to cultivate the presence of God in your life. See, your greatest need becomes your greatest blessing when it drives you to God. Let me say that again. Your greatest need becomes your greatest blessing when it drives you to God. Some of you have lost your job, and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. God, I need you. And he's like, exactly. Exactly. And what has been your greatest need has now become your greatest blessing because now it's put you in a posture of actually wanting to hear from God because when you were working, you didn't have enough time for God. And so now he decided to take that away from you so you can learn that you really need him. So next time you go back into your new job, you realize you still need job, still need God in this new job. And so the greatest need now becomes your greatest blessing. Our marriage is is in trouble. God, we need you. God, we just, what do we do? We need to pray together. Oh, yeah. You do need to start praying together. Okay, good. My greatest need now just became my greatest blessing. 
And here they are in the middle of this fight with a king, and they think their greatest battle is with a king, when the truth is their greatest battle is actually with God because they need water, they need something from God. I'm just here to tell you that you shouldn't use God to meet your need. You should use your need to meet God. And here we are, you've got to learn how to cultivate the presence of God. Why did they call Elisha? Because he knew how to be in the presence of God. And I don't know what that is for you. I know for me, I'm a lot like Elisha. Like, if, man, if I really need a word from the Lord and, man, I need to really experience God's presence, I do put on worship music. I'll put it on in my car. Thank God for Bluetooth now. They just think you're talking to somebody, you know? <laughs> like, man, he's talking to somebody. Yeah, I'm talking to somebody, all right. <laughs> keep your hands on the wheel. Keep your eyes open. Okay, that's the only thing. But I don't know what that is. Maybe it's going out into the woods. Maybe it's just diving into the Bible more. I don't, I don't know how you cultivate the presence of God. We want to help you do that if you don't know how to. But you better learn how to. Because there's going to come a moment where you're going to need God. And most people don't need God until it's a rescue 911 situation. And I love God because he does show up in those moments. But I'm just here to tell you, those are not the only moments he wants to show up in your life. I love what it said about Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. It says it this way. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized, watch this. They were what? Unschooled. And? Anybody feel good right now? Who struggled in school? Anybody? All right. The more jacked up you are, the more qualified you are. Praise God. Come on, somebody. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had... They've been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. We got to learn to cultivate the presence of God. Listen, you can walk on to your job with the presence of God. Whether it's offshore, it's on a rig, coffee shop, restaurant, office, doctor's office, wherever you work, whatever school you go to, you can walk on to that place with the presence of God. And like you just straight up stroll up in that place and realize that God can do great things with you, which leads to number two, and that is if you don't move, God won't move. If you won't move, God won't move. Watch what the next verse says, verse 16. So here we are, the presence of God comes on to Elisha. All right, Elisha, what do we do? Is he going to bring the rain? Um, this is what God said. Go make the valley full of ditches. What? First you asked for a harp. Now you're asking for us to have ditches? Like, do you, do you know how tired we are? Do you know that we can, I mean, we can barely function and you're wanting us to do manual labor? Yes. Yes, see, because only God can bring the rain, but sometimes God wants you to, to dig the ditch. See, oftentimes we want to posture ourselves in a way where we sit back in our lazy boy Christian recliner and we say, God, you just do it. And God says, I don't work that way. No, no, no. If you want me to do something, if you want me to move, you need to move. And I won't move till you move. You move, then I'll move. Notice it's not God moves, then you move. Notice it's you move, then God moves. And some of us are sitting back, God, help my marriage. God, help my marriage. God, help my marriage. And God says, get counseling. Go tell somebody that you're struggling. Yeah. 
God, God, bless my, bless my finances. God, give me a better job where I can make more money. And God says, well, why don't you tithe? Why don't we start there? And maybe then I can bless something that you're actually doing. See, you're wanting me to bless what you're doing. Why don't you just get in with, with what I'm already blessing and it will be blessed. This is what God is calling us to do. Watch James chapter two says it this way. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by what? It is what? If it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. So faith is not a lottery ticket. Faith is a work order. It's not a lottery ticket. It's, it is a work order. In the New Testament, in, 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 in Jesus' life, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, what did he see? Think about it. When, when Jesus is walking on the water and Peter says, Lord, is that you? Yes, it's me. Come. And then it says, then when Jesus saw his faith, what did he see? The man with the withered hand that Jesus heals, he says, stretch out your hand. And it says, when Jesus saw his faith, he was healed. The woman that had the issue of blood running after Jesus to just touch his garment, she turns around and when, she saw, when he saw her faith, what did he see? He saw action. He saw, I don't, I'm not just praying a prayer, I'm actually going to start doing it. There's no clouds anywhere. Dig a ditch. Are you serious? Dig ditches everywhere actually. Tell everybody, everybody get a shovel. Dig, everybody dig ditches. Can you think how crazy it is to be doing this and going, who is this man? Who is this man? And not realizing that God is saying, you show me your faith, I'll show you my faithfulness. You show me your faith, I'm gonna show you your faithfulness. Hey, listen here, you wanna quit smoking? Throw away your cigarettes. I hate this church. <laughs> Let God see some faith. God, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. Whatever you want to see God do, he needs to see you move. God's not going to move a parked car. You got to get going. You got to get moving. If you get moving, God will start speaking. Some of you are wondering, why is God not speaking? Because you're not moving. You got to get moving. Y'all ever had Siri tell you the directions? If you're standing still, she don't talk. Like, you got to get moving. 100 feet, take a right. But you're moving. Is everybody with me? If you won't move, God won't move. So I just wrote this down. Faith is saying yes to a lot of small opportunities. Listen, I'm in this position right now because I was willing to say yes to a lot of small things that nobody else saw. That's it. There was really nothing special. Just, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll be willing to do that. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. And so I wrote this down. What if David said, I don't do sheep? What if, what if Moses says, I don't do deserts? What if Noah said, I don't do boats and stinky animals? What if Mary said, I don't do virgin births? What if the disciple says, I don't, I don't pass out food to people? 
What if Paul said, I don't do letters? What if Jesus said, I don't do crosses? What, what is on the other side of you just saying yes? Just yes. God, I want you to move. Then yes. Whatever it is, yes. Which leads to this last verse, 2 Kings 3, 17. says, for this is what the Lord says, you will see neither wind nor rain. <laughs> Some of you right now are so discouraged because you don't see anything happening. You're going through the same mundane thing. It's the same thing over and over again. God's telling you, you may not see wind or rain yet. Yet, yet, watch, yet, this valley will be filled with water and you and your cattle and other animals will drink. This miracle is gonna happen. Now watch this, watch the next verse. It says, this is an easy thing. Notice Elijah said, this is a difficult thing. God said, oh no, 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 this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Now watch this. Oh yeah, and by the way, I'll take care of the Moabites. Just like, like Lanyap, like I'll take care of the Moabites, you know. <laughs> hey, y'all need water? I got that, it's an easy thing, and I'll take care of the Moabites. I'm here to tell, you, to tell you that maybe the need that you're in right now is driving you hopefully to God because God's trying to meet a greater need. You're worried about how am I going to pay the bills and God's worrying about why money is your God. You're worried about your kids and what am I going to do with, oh God, I don't know, with my kids, my kids. And God's going, hey, can you just trust me that I love your kids more than you do? Are y'all with me today? And so this leads to this last point. Here we go. Don't base your life on the seen, but on the unseen. Don't base your life on what you see, but on the unseen. If it doesn't look good yet, God's not done yet. If it doesn't look good yet, God's not done yet. If it doesn't look good yet, God's not done yet. Whatever you're going through right now, if it doesn't look good yet, God's not done yet. God is working. God is moving. Father, right now in this moment, Lord, we invite you to come. Lord, you have been speaking through your word today. God, in the midst of us maybe doing the mundane, the monotonous, the insignificant things of life, we are realizing that even when other people are not maybe watching or praising, that you are watching and you are rewarding and you see. So today we repent of maybe attitudes we've had. God, of, of maybe demeaning the little things that we're doing, not realizing that these little things to you are big things. God, thank you today that you were willing to not say no to the uncomfortable things. You said yes to the uncomfortable. You said yes to everything that your father asked of you. And today, God, we want to posture ourselves today to say, God, we'll give you our best yes. God, we'll give you our best yes. We'll give you our best. God, we're going to ask again. God, I pray right now in this house that dreams and prayers would be revived again, God. Those that are praying for lost children, lost husbands, lost loved ones, those that are praying, God, for you to do things that other people say can't happen, those who are believing for medical miracles right now. God, we say yes, Lord. We believe you're a healer. God, we believe that you can do what only you can do today, God. We, we pray again. We ask again. We believe again. But God, we know you are calling us to move. 
You're calling us to move. So I pray today, God, that you would give courage and boldness in this house for there to be a boldness of obedience, for us to step into the obedience of what you're calling us to do. God, may we not hold on to the things that are comfortable, the things that are convenient, but God, may we step into obedience fully to you. I pray right now for those who are wanting to break addictions. God, today, I pray this is a day of freedom in this house today. God, we break the power of addictions off of your people today. I pray for freedom in this house. God, I pray right now, those who are battling depression and anxiety, that it has to break off in the name of Jesus today. God, I pray, Lord, that you would fill this house with peace and joy. The life of your spirit would reside inside of them. Now, if you're here in this house and you don't know Jesus personally, the Bible would put it this way. The most important question we can ask is, have you been born again? It's the question that Nicodemus asks Jesus. Man, how do I get to heaven? And he says, you must be born again. Just like you have a natural birthday, God wants to come and give you a spiritual birthday where he renews your heart and your soul and your mind. He comes and he makes you right before him. It's as simple as ABC. We admit that we're sinners, that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. That we're the ones who have trespassed. We're the ones that have walked away from God. We're the ones that want to be our own God. But we believe that Jesus came and he lived that life that you and I couldn't live. And he died a death that you and I should have died and he took our place and he took our shame and he took our pain and he took our sin and he took everything from us that separated us from the Father and he rose again and if you will confess him as the Lord and Savior of your life and you will put him first and you will surrender, the Bible says you will be born again. If you've never prayed that today, I wanna pray for you. On the count of three, I want you to shoot your hands up. One, two, three, if that's you, all across this room, I want you to shoot your hands up all over. One, two, three, four five, six. Come on. Awesome. Anybody else right now? Seven. Thank you right there. Anybody else? Eight. Praise God. Now, would you just pray this with me? Father, I surrender my life to you. Come be my Lord and Savior. You died a death for me and you rose again to take my shame my guilt and my sin and you've given me your righteousness you've made a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with the father today I give my life to you completely in Jesus name and everyone said Amen.